thank you to them. We say thank you to the musicians, the sound team, the tech team. Just, just thank you to everybody. Of all the times I have had impromptu singing moments up here, I have yet to be asked to join the worship team. I'm not going to take that personally, but I'm just saying, you know, next week. Yeah. But maybe I'll just turn the sermon into a musical. How about that? Much to, to Josh and uh, Grant's horror. Mark the musical. Yeah? I think we should do that. Mark the musical. Let's do it. Today we are in Mark chapter 12. Open your Bibles to verse 35. No? I think that should be a thing. I think that should be a thing. This is what happens when I don't preach in a while. You don't know what's going to happen, but oh well, I'm up here and you're here. So here we go. Um, No, but really, I'm so thankful for just people who are able to bring their talents and um, give of themselves. So thank you for the musical gifts you share. I I can't promise the singing won't happen again, but... Let's go on. Um, So today, if you are joining us for the first time in a while, or you haven't um, been here at all before, it's your first Sunday, welcome. Um, We are in the book of Mark, and let me give you a place to ground yourself this morning. Today, Jesus has been in this setting for a while. He is in, near, around the temple, and he has been having conversations Um, for a long time now, and he has been surrounded by people for a while. People who, all sorts of people, people who are 100% hanging on his every word because they have, they're just completely captured by this man, and they are in awe and in wonder of him, and they are, they have found encouragement and hope, and they've just found something in him, and they're 100% hanging on his every word. That's one group of people. And the other group of people are also 100% hanging on his every word because they hate this guy. They hate this guy. They want him to stop talking. They want him to stop talking because he is challenging everything they stand for. He is challenging their power. He is challenging their authority. He, he is just, he is there and he represents a threat to them and everything they represent. So Jesus has encountered question after question after this group of people. They ask him about taxes. They ask him about life after death. They ask him about theology. They ask him question after question. And now Jesus asks a question. So that's where we are today. And today, to read our scripture, I would like to bring up a super duper reader, Miss Abby Anderson. Would you welcome her? You can take off your mask. All right. Ready? Yes. Okay. While Jesus was teaching in the temple courts, he asked, Why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah of his is is the son of David? David himself, speaking by the Holy Spirit, declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until... I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls 
him Lord. How then can he be his son? The large crowd listened to him with delight. As he taught, Jesus said, watch out for the teachers of the law. They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues. synagogues in the places of honor at the boti- at the banquets at the banquets they devour widows widows houses and for show lengthy make lengthy prayers like make lengthy par- prayers these men will be punished most severely 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 mm-hmm. jesus sat down opposite opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two very small copper coins worth a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly, I will give this poor willow has put more in the treasury than all the others. They have given out their wealth, wealthy, but she, out of her prover- poverty. poverty, put in everything all she had to live on. Excellent. Give me a high five. Thank you, Abby. And where there is one twin, there is another. I would like to invite Clara Anderson up here. Come on down. And Claire, I would like you to pray for our service today. Would you be able to do that? Maybe pray for mommy and the message and pray for everyone here to hear. Just pray. Okay. Okay. Dear Jesus, bless us to our bodies. Help everyone here have a good day. Help my mom and everyone have a good sermon here. Service. Service. And help the coronavirus go away. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Would you help me encourage them one more time? Now, I bring these children up here this morning not because they're my kids and they're super cute. Um, One person actually told me on Friday, hey, one of your twins looks exactly like you. And I was like, well, they're identical, so. But anyway, um, I bring these children up here because I imagine that when Jesus was preaching, when Jesus was speaking, and we have another baby going off. It's Nolan. Nolan wants his turn now. Um... When Jesus was preaching, when Jesus was speaking, not just when he said, the children are here, let the children come to me, I I imagine that at this place, everywhere he went, there were children hanging off his every word also. Maybe they didn't understand it. Maybe they didn't get it, but they were there. They were bringing their whole selves, and they were participating. They were participating, and as we will see in a moment, as I will come to share, Jesus came to tell us that we can all come to him. No matter if we have it together, no matter if we don't understand, no matter what it is, if we do things for his honor and his glory, he sees it. Amen? Amen. So let's look at what's happening here. 
um, one thing at a time and then all together. So the first thing that Abby read is Jesus is asking a question here. And the question he's asking is, why do the teachers of the law say that the Messiah is the son of David? He goes on to say here that if David, his ancestor, King David, the greatest king that Israel has ever known, a man of honor, a man who was respected, this great king, if he called the Messiah Lord, how can the Messiah be your descendant and you call him Lord? You wouldn't refer to someone beneath you as Lord. You wouldn't, you wouldn't do that. So what's the deal here? Jesus, exactly what are you asking? And to us, it might appear to be a sort of riddle or a sort of like puzzle, um, but it wouldn't be to those around him because people around him, from, from the teachers of the law to the most common person, they would know this makes perfect sense because it has been accepted as fact. It has been taught that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. We could look at verse after verse that confirms this fact. In Jeremiah 23.5, it said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will rise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will wisely, wisely reign, reign wisely and do what, it, what is just and right in the land. And then in Amos, it says in verse 11, chapter 9, In that day I will restore David's fallen shelter, repair its broken walls, restore its ruins, and rebuild it as it used to be. So verse after verse, we could be reading a bunch of verses for a while here, but everyone could agree that yes, the Messiah would be a descendant of David. But how also could he be David's Lord? That's the question David. Uh, Jesus is asking, how could he also be David's Lord? And notice that in the scripture here in the text, the scribes, the Pharisees, the teachers, they don't give an answer back. They don't give an answer back. These high and mighty men who have asked all these questions have nothing to say back here. And I wonder how long that awkward silence was. The super awkward silence. Jesus here is challenging them to He's challenging their way of thinking. He's saying, you know, you've believed this way the whole time. Can you not believe that perhaps the Messiah is something more? Can you not believe that the Messiah is something more, something greater than you imagined? And this portion ends by saying the crowd listened with delight. I imagine the crowd, again, watching this interaction between Jesus and, and the scribes and, and the Pharisees, just looking back and forth like, oh boy, what's happening next? Have you ever been in a tense conversation like that? Like, oh, okay, where's this going to go? I imagine that's what's happening. They're watching Jesus stump these guys. Jesus is calling them out here that they can't just, they can't see beyond what they know. They have a limited, they have limited God by thinking just this way. They are confined to the standard, the standard that they have come to believe, the standard that they have set here, and Jesus sees it and is calling it out here. The second thing that's going on here is Jesus warning specifically against these people who have been questioning him the whole time, specifically warning against what they are doing and why they do it. Let's read in verse 38 again. It says, watch out for the teachers of the law. 
They like to walk around in flowing robes and be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and have the most important seats in the synagogues and the places of honor in banquets. Now, these men had positioned themselves in such high places that they demanded respect. They demanded acknowledgement of their status. They demanded that people gaze upon them in awe and wonder. They demanded that people look to them for everything they needed to know and they needed to understand. These guys were not concerned about the needs of others. They were concerned about themselves and how they appeared to everyone around them. Jesus is the least concerned about status and titles and abilities, right? We've, we've heard him say this very plainly. What did he say earlier? He said, the first will be last and the last will be first. He said, the greatest among you will be a servant. And who is that servant? Him. Yes? So what these men are doing goes against everything that Jesus represents. In verse 40, it says, they devour widows' houses and for show make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished most severely. It says they devour. In some, in some translations, it says swindle. Widows at this time are the most vulnerable people in this culture. Oftentimes, a widow would go to a scribe or a Pharisee and and they would ask for help with one thing and another. Well, here's the thing. The Pharisees couldn't take payment. No, no. They were too, they were too holy for that. They couldn't take payment. But what the, what the Pharisees would do is they would help the widow in such a way or write up a contract in such a way that benefited them. That benefited them. And many a times the widow was left with nothing. Nothing. They would take advantage of her. At this time, a widow has less capacity to earn money than a slave has. So once she's lost everything, she's lost everything. If she doesn't have family to take care of her, she is most likely homeless. And these guys were so ambitious and so greedy that they did not care who they hurt. They did not care who they hurt. So Jesus again sees it and is calling it out here. These guys are concerned with appearances ambition and greed these guys have made themselves so high and mighty and that's the standard that they have set to look up to the third thing that is happening here is that jesus sees a widow he sees a widow she's quiet no one else is noticing and she drops two small coins in the offering box and continues on her way her giving a small her giving is quiet, but her giving is 100%, and Jesus sees that. This might very well be one of the widows that Jesus just referred to. It might very well be one of the widows that the scribes have taken advantage of. And I have read in a few commentaries here in a few historical books that <clears throat> when uh, the Pharisees would give, as Jesus has just said, when the Pharisees would give, sometimes they'd have a red carpet rolled out for them right in front of the offering box. Not only would they have a red carpet rolled out for them, but they would summon a trumpet player so that their giving could be announced. A trumpet player. 
Like dropping the coins in this like tin box wasn't enough. They needed to call more attention to it. Have you guys ever seen a coin star in a supermarket? Have you ever seen one? Well, I'm going to tell you about a little tradition that our family has. All year long, we collect loose change in a jar. All year long. You'd think it amount to a lot of money, but it only ends up being like 100 maybe $120 um, at the end of the year because Chris and I never have cash on us. Um, so all year long, we drop our change into this jar. And on Christmas Eve, on Christmas Eve, because we're not crazy enough, we take this jar to the coin star at the Vons across the street. And so we take this jar with whomever is in our house celebrating that day. It could just be us or more family or more friends. Whoever is with us participates in this. So if this sounds awesome, come to my house on Christmas Eve. If this sounds like the worst idea ever, I won't be offended. But we take the jar of loose change and we head over to the grocery store. And whatever that amount of money is, we split it up equally. Sometimes we're six people, sometimes we're 12 people. One time it was 16 people. Um, so we split that money evenly and we head over to the Walmart or the Target. We exchange names and it's called our Christmas Eve Buddy Gift Exchange. And so what we do is we, we exchange names and it's crazy because it's Christmas Eve so you can imagine the store. And it's also very slim pickings because it's Christmas Eve, so imagine the store. So it's either really fun or really frustrating <laughs> because you're doing this on Christmas Eve. And so the worst part about this tradition for me is probably the coin star time. Because if you've ever been at a coin star while people are dropping their change, it makes so much noise. Like, it's so loud. You can't even really talk to the person next to you. And not only that, but we end up drawing a big crowd, because not only are we like 12 people already, but there's all this noise, and people want to know what the amount is in the end. They want to know. So you can imagine in real day that ridiculousness. Imagine back then. Do you think these guys would draw a large crowd? I'm sure they did. I'm sure they did. So you can imagine the spectacle, not only making coin star level noise, but having a carpet, having a trumpet played, that must have been ridiculous to see. In verse 42, it says, but a poor widow came out to put two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. Her two small coins probably didn't even make a sound, but she showed up and she gave her all. So Jesus sees this again, and he's calling these men out, calling them out for calling attention to their appearance, calling them out for showing off their concern for themselves, even at the cost of others. This is also the standard that they have set for themselves here. Jesus sees it and is calling them out. So we have these three stories here. What do we do with them? As Josh said, how do we grow from it? How do we understand it? What do we do with these stories? Let me ask you a question. Think about it. Don't call it out. But let me ask you a question. What kind of standards have we set for ourselves? What kind of standards have we set for ourselves? And where do these standards come from? 
Where do these standards come from? What kinds of things have we decided are important and will take priority in our lives? Where do they come from? Do they come from family? Do they come from friends? Do they come from church? Where do these standards come from? Is it because we're concerned with appearance? Is it because we're concerned who's watching what I do, how I do it, when I do it? Where do these standards come from? And are we so focused on doing these things that we forget why we are doing it? Are we so focused? Do we, do we look at examples to follow and, and feel that pressure? Do we look at these examples? These standards, where do they come from? Where do they come from? Now I'll tell you, some of you might be saying, well, Jesus. I look to Jesus. That's, sure, the Sunday morning answer. The Sunday morning answer. That's the right answer. But the question is, is it a true answer? Is it a true answer for you and for me? Because... Are your priorities and your standards 100% Jesus, 100% focused on that, 100% or more like eh, 80-20, 70-30, 50-50, or is it 90-10? What is it? Here's the thing, my friends, there is no guilt being handed out from up here right now, especially not for me because I know exactly how you might be feeling right now. I know exactly how you might be feeling. It sounds nice to say that our priorities and our standards are 100% in line with Jesus and 100% this is my Sunday answer and it's true all the time and amen. But I don't know if that's 100% true for us all the time for any of us. We all get caught up in it. Why? Because are we not human? You're human, I'm human. We look at our social media feeds and feel like, oh, look at that. Let me do that. Let me do that. If only I could, if only I could do a little bit more of this, if only I could do a little bit more of that. Even the Christian social media posts, I, I love them and I hate them because sometimes, oh, it's really inspirational. Other times it makes me feel like a loser. Am I the only one? Yeah. And maybe you don't feel like a loser. Maybe you say, you know what? I am good with loving my neighbor. I am good with doing it. I am good. I do it. I do it. I do it. Well, is there times where maybe you forget why you do it? Are you doing it just because it's part of your routine? We go to church. We serve. We give. We're good. But are we good? Are we just fine? Or could it be more? Could it be more? So no guilt is being handed out from up here because I am right there with you. I am right there with you. Guess what is being handed out from up here today? Grace. Jesus and grace all together. Because Jesus knows that we get caught up in these patterns. He knows we get caught up. He knows that we turn to things to define our worth. Oh my gosh, I thought that was a rat. It's a little ball. Show them, Trevor. It just came like slowly in the corner of my eye. <laughs> you just woke everybody up. Good job, buddy. 
like slowly out of the corner of my eye. Not that we have rats here. <laughs> All right. You would see me like, you wouldn't even see me anymore. <clears throat> so Jesus, not rats, are being handed out from up here this morning because he knows. He knows that we turn to these things to define our worth, to define our value. This may look like a job for you or a relationship or the way we serve or the good we do, what we give. It looks like so many things. And these are not bad things. These are not bad things. But when these things take place and define the standard in our life, that's when we forget who the honor and the glory goes to. Would you say you do this sometimes? I know I do. We forget who the honor and the glory goes to. And this is what Jesus sees. And this is what Jesus calls out. Jesus was calling these guys out three times in a row here because they're setting themselves up as the example. They're setting themselves instead of saying, look to God, look to Jesus. They're setting themselves up as the standard. They're setting themselves up as the, as the goal to attain. They're setting themselves up as the one to, to gaze upon in awe and wonder. And Jesus is standing right in front of them saying, no, no. The system that you have created, the things that you think are important, I've come to replace all of that. Out with the old, in with the new. Talk about deconstruction, right? Grant last week talked about that. He talked about challenging our inner fundamentals. He's challenging these guys. He's challenging these guys. That's what's happening here. Verses just before this, Jesus told them what to do and how to do it. Join me in verse 30. And the words you see in bold, please read with me. Verse 30. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with your soul and with your mind and with all. your strength. The second is this, love. love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. These are the two words repeated the most in the greatest commandments, love and all. Love with all you have. Well, that's easy, right? It's like I tell my husband, huh? I love you on Tuesdays. Tuesdays is his day. I'm just kidding. I love you all the time. But Tuesdays a little more. Uh, but it's not easy to love with all you have all the time. It sounds easy, but it's not. You know the expression, the struggle is real? Have you heard this? The struggle is real? I have a love-hate relationship with this expression. I, 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 you know, it reminds me that I'm human. It reminds me that I'm human. So the struggle is real. Ah, oh, I guess I'm human. But guess who's in the struggle with me? God. God is right there in the middle of the struggle with me. I wonder if the disciples had like an inside joke like this. Like a line they used to say when Jesus was like walking them through hard things. Oh, the struggle is real. Maybe they had their own version of this expression. But these guys, as we've heard, were broken guys, but they were hand-picked 
by Jesus. These guys were the furthest thing from being respected leaders, from being religious leaders, from being teachers, from being whatever it is. They were the furthest thing from that, but Jesus picked them. He had plenty to choose from, but he picked these guys because Jesus was not concerned about the standard. Jesus was not concerned about the standard. He said, look to me, follow me. I'm the standard. Jesus knows the struggle is real. He is in it with you. He's the one that sets the standard, who defines your value and worth, and he is the one that we owe the honor and the glory to with all our heart and what? All our mind, all our strength. I want you to remember this today. I want you to remember it so much so that I have a giveaway. <laughs> ready? I'm going to ask my lovely assistant, Grant, to be ready. Look at your uh, worship guide, and there will be a special mark on the back on four worship guides. Is there a special mark? There you go. Lydia, raise, raise it. There's a star. That's one. Ed, back there. Did you draw that just now, Ishmael? <laughs> Was it already there before? Okay, Ishmael gets one. We have one more. Oh, our guest, welcome. All the way from Orcas Island, I heard. Excellent. Now, could somebody read that really loud? What does it say? Where are you, Ed? Read it. Do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. Amen? And guess what? We're not all walking home losers today because you all get a little printout of this as you leave. Because do everything for the glory of God. Do everything for the glory of God. So some of you won something right now. Some of you won something later. We're all winners. Isn't that the thing to do these days? We're all winners. Here's your participation prize. Um... But whatever you do, do it for the one who sees you. Do it for the one who notices you, no matter what. No matter what. Do you know why I asked my daughter to read the scripture today? Not because she's my daughter and I thought we'd mix it up. But because Abby has so many struggles. She has so many struggles. She didn't read it perfectly. The first time she read it with me at home, synagogue, she said synagogues, which I thought was really cute. But Abby actually struggles so much in school because she is not the standard. She is not the standard. She struggles so much. But you know what? When I asked her if she would help me deliver God's word today, she said, yes. Yes. Yeah. She did ask if I'd be on standby for hard words, but she said yes. I don't drill into my kids, you know what, get straight A's or else, but I drill into my kids, God made you, and as long as you are trying for him, that is all I ask. That is all I ask. When I asked Claire to pray today, first she asked me if she had to use fancy words. And I said no. She said, do I have to start with, oh, Lord? And I said, no, baby girl, you just, you just pray how you pray. You just pray how you pray. Did you like how she ended it with, please help the coronavirus go away? That is the standard ending line in my house right now. <laughs> but 
But anyway, but she, she, you know, they were here and they were 100% who they are. And God sees that. God notices that. And maybe not today, maybe one day they will understand the concept of doing everything they do for the glory and honor of God. I hope they do. I hope they do. In this passage, the Pharisees scoffed. But the crowd was what? Delighted. The crowd was delighted. And I want you to leave here delighted today. Delighted because you know that things of this world are short-lived and they are not the standard. What are you comparing yourself to? Don't. When I have people come up to me and say, Melody, how do you, you know, do this? And I'm like, first of all, don't do that. Second of all, I, d- I don't do it all. Something's failing somewhere. We're either having little Caesars for dinner tonight or someone's homework didn't get done or blah, blah, blah happened at work. Don't do that. Who are you comparing yourself to? What standard are you comparing yourself to? Why? Jesus is the standard. Jesus is the standard. I want you to leave delighted because you know that every person in this room has issues. Me, Grant, Josh, the worship team that never asked me to sing. They have issues. But no, we all have issues. We all have issues, but I want you to believe 100% delighted because you know that Jesus is 100% in the struggle with you. Do you believe that? Yes. Mark starts off with this verse. We're going to put it up. It says, Mark starts off with this verse. It says, the beginning of the good news. The good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. This is the good news. We struggle, but there is good news. Would you take out your communion with me this morning? Thank you. Raise your hand if you don't have communion and someone will come around. Thank you, Peck. I think a lot of times... I think a lot of times we walk around feeling guilty. We walk around feeling guilty because I should have, I would have, I could have. We walk around thinking, oh, I missed this opportunity, or oh, I could have said that better, or oh. Is the struggle real? Yes. Jesus went to the cross and said, you don't have to walk around in guilt. You don't have to walk around in guilt. Here's my body, and this is my promise. This is my pact to you. You come to me. You come to me with your struggle. You come to me with your heartache. You come to me with all your issues. You come to me. Let's take the bread. Oh, but my issues are are this, or my issues are that. They don't, either they're too big. Why would Jesus pay attention to this? Or they're too small. Why would Jesus pay attention to this? There's, There's no definition. There's no standard. 
The standard is Jesus, and he said, come to me. He wants to take everything you believe in, every lie that you've ever heard, every negative thing that you think about yourself, he wants to break that down and say, no, I am the standard. Look to me. I define you. And I went to the cross for you. I bled for you. This is the promise we have here. And guess what? The struggle will still be real when we leave these doors today. But turn around. Look at your block. Look at your card. Look to the sky. Look, do whatever. But do whatever you do for the glory and honor of God because he is saying, hey, I get it. Let's be in the struggle together. Amen. Let's take the cup. Lord, as we end this day, God, as we say, this is a standard I believe, this is a standard that, that has plagued me, or this is a standard that I've come to believe to be true, or this is a standard, God, would you take those lies, would you break down those walls, would you let us feel you? in those moments. God, maybe we're so used to serving, so used to giving, so used to showing up on Sunday that it's just routine. God, would you show us something more? Would we encounter you more? Would we encounter you in different ways, God? Would we be open to that? Would we be open to seeing you, God, in different ways? God, thank you that this world does not define the standard, that you are the standard, God. That you say, I love you. Love me with all your heart and all your mind and all your strength, God. That's what you ask of us, Lord, that we would learn how to do that in a different way, perhaps, this week. God, thank you that you are the one that rescues us, that we don't have to walk around in guilt and shame. You are the one who defines who we are, who gives us our value, who gives us our worth. May we do everything for the honor and glory of your name. In Jesus' name. Amen.